Okay, let's start with the quiz. That's always enjoyable, right? A, a, a quiz. Now, this is going to be an easy quiz, and you can talk to the person next to you to get the answer. If you want to walk up a few pews and ask somebody a question or talk to Siri, whatever you want to do. It's a true and false que question, just one question. I don't want you yelling out the answer right away. Think about it for a moment. Give it some serious thought. Okay, one true or false question. True or false. We are told more about the childhood of Jesus than any other character in the Bible. We are told more about the childhood of Jesus than anyone else in the Bible. Is that true or false? Now think about it. If you want to talk to somebody about it, go ahead. If you want to open your Bibles, go ahead. True or false, we know more about the childhood of Jesus than any other Bible character. Now, I'm going to give you a chance to answer that in a second. You're thinking about it? You got the answer? You're pretty sure? Okay, is it true or false? He was at lunch with me yesterday. That's why he has the right answer. It's true. That's hard to believe, huh? Now I know that's hard to believe. <laughs> it's, it's, it is true, though. Now you, We don't know much about Jesus' childhood. We know very little about Jesus' childhood, but we know more about the childhood of Jesus than any other person in the Bible. Now, you don't believe me, I know. I can see the looks on your face. So that's good. You're going to go home and get your Bibles out and do some looking up, counting verses and things. But you think about it a little bit. Most of the characters in the Bible we meet, we meet as adults. Uh, Noah, Abraham, uh, Joshua, Gideon, Samson, Saul, Solomon, John the Baptist, Paul the Apostle, the other apostles, we meet them as adults. We know very little about uh, others. Uh, we, we read about uh, Cain and Abel being born in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, verse 2. They're adults already. We don't read about their childhood. We read about Moses floating down the river. Uh, we know that uh, Pharaoh's daughter raised him, but his mother was involved in that also. But that's about all about his childhood. Uh, David is a shepherd boy. We know a little bit about his battle as a teenager with Goliath. Uh, Daniel, we know a little bit about him as a teenager. Isaac, maybe Isaac is the closest in, in the amount of information we get as far as childhood. We know a little bit about Samuel, and, and uh, we read about Timothy. When Timothy was a teenager, we know that his mother and his grandmother were Christians and raised him, taught him the scripture. We know that he was well-liked and respected in the church. See, we have these brief scenes. We have these vignettes of the childhood of a few Bible characters but we don't know much about the childhood of most Bible characters. And that's also true of Jesus. We don't know a lot about Jesus' childhood. But we know more about his childhood than we do, I believe, than anyone else in the Bible. We know more about his genealogy. We have a genealogy on his side and his father's side and on his mother's side. We know about his miraculous birth. We know how he got his name. Uh, an angel told Joseph what to name him. We know he was born in Bethlehem. We know when he was born, during the time of Caesar Augustus. Uh, we know that the angels announced his birth. We know these shepherds came to visit him when he was born. We know his parents took him to the temple when he was just eight days old, and they presented him, and he was circumcised. We know that a, a man named Simeon held him and, and prophesied concerning him, and, and, and a prophetess named Anna also uh, saw him and said that he was the one who came to redeem the world. We know that he lived in Bethlehem for a period of time. We don't know how long. 
maybe a few months, could be up to closer to two years. His house was in Bethlehem. We know the wise men came to visit him and brought him gifts. We know Herod tried to kill him. We know he and his family moved to Egypt for a while until Herod died. When Herod died, Joseph wanted to go back to Bethlehem. Why would he want to go back to Bethlehem? He's from Nazareth. Why go? Well, he, he set up a house there in Bethlehem. The people in Nazareth was a very small community, gossip about Mary, you know, having a child outside of Mary. He was going to go back to Bethlehem, but when Herod died, his son uh, took over. His son's name was Achilles. In Matthew chapter uh, 2, verses 21, uh, 22 through 23, uh, talk about that Joseph could not go back there because this you thought Herod the Great was a madman. His son was even worse than Herod. So the Bible says that Joseph took Jesus back to Nazareth because basically the Bible is going to, uh, says that he's going to be called a Nazarene. So he went back to Nazareth part, partly to fulfill scripture. Then the Bible gives us two brief summaries of Jesus' childhood. In Luke 2.40 it says, And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. And then again in verse 52 it says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And between those two bookends, uh, we are given one incident in the life of Jesus as a child, an incident when he is 12 years old, and we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. We are told that Jesus had brothers and sisters. Uh, we, we see this a couple different places, but in Matthew chapter 13 it says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph, Simon and Judas, and his sisters are not they all with us? We are told in this account that Jesus had at least uh, four half-brothers, half-brothers because Mary was their mother and, and, and Joseph was their father, but uh, Joseph was not Jesus' biological father. So half-brothers, he had at least two half-sisters. So we know that he grew up in a family with brothers and, and sisters. We know that about his childhood. He wasn't an only child. Now, I, I want to say something here. And just, just for your information, of course, most of you know the Catholic Church teaches that Jesus did not have any brothers and sisters. They teach that Mary was a perpetual virgin. Uh, they explain away the brothers and sisters different ways. They'll say, well, these were cousins. They were relatives of Jesus, not brothers and sisters. Uh, others say that Joseph, when he married, Mary was older and he had uh, these kids and, and therefore Mary did not have him. She was a perpetual virgin. But there's a problem with saying that because not only do we read that he had brothers and sisters, but we also read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, but he, Joseph, had no union with her, that is Mary, until she gave birth to a son. And, and, he, and he gave him the name Jesus. So you see, sometime after Jesus was born, Mary and, and Joseph consummated their marriage. She was not a perpetual virgin. Not only that, in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 6, it says, while they were there, that is in Bethlehem, the time came to, for the baby to be born. Verse 7 says, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. Now, if you have a firstborn son, what does that mean? That means you're going to have more, right? <laughs> At least a second. So this idea that Mary was a perpetual, perpetual virgin uh, is not a doctrine that comes from the Scripture. Uh, the Scripture makes it very clear that Jesus had brothers and, and sisters. My point is that Jesus grew up in a family. We know that about his childhood. He wasn't an only child. Now, 
There are all kind of wacky things taught about Jesus' childhood that are not in the Bible. And most of those wacky legends come from uh, what is known as the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas. The Gnostic Gospels were found in a cave in 1945. They were writings, they were written 2nd, 3rd century AD about Jesus. The early church knew about these writings. Sometimes you, you might have read about the lost books of the Bible. They're not the lost books of the Bible. They were lost books, lost writings because we didn't find them until 1945. But the early church fathers write about them. They were aware of these books. They did not include them in the scripture because they weren't part of the scripture. They were never considered part of the scripture by the church. People today want to say, oh, look, we found extra. You didn't find extra scriptures. These were just writings at that period of time. Gnosticism was a false teaching. It was a heresy. Uh, Gnostics taught that the flesh was evil and that the spirit was good. Uh, they taught that Jesus did not uh, receive uh, his spirit until his baptism and that at his crucifixion, the spirit left him. They teach that Jesus did not raise from the dead uh, physically. Uh, they teach the flesh is evil. There's nothing you can do about that. The spirit is good because the flesh is evil. You're going to do evil things. That's okay. Just in the spirit, do good things, you see. And it was a false teaching that gave Christians at that time an opportunity, a way to do what they wanted to do. It was a false teaching. It was a heresy. The early church uh, fathers, the church never accepted these Gnostic gospels. It was a cult. How many of you are familiar with that tabloid, Weekly World News? You know, you go, you go down the grocery line, you look, you see it right there, all the headlines. Some crazy headlines in the Weekly World News. I read one just not long ago. Uh, it, it, the headline said, Secret of the Universe Discovered. That makes you want to buy it, doesn't it? I mean, they discovered the secret of the universe. It was written by a guy named Dallas Commentaries on July 10th, 2018. And it says, reports have surfaced that the secret of the universe has been discovered in an old weekly news issue. How about that? They had the secret all the time. They didn't know it. And they discovered it in an old weekly news issue. But it went on to say, researchers are not exactly sure which issue. How? What? <laughs> How can that be? You know, <laughs> we've discovered it, but we're not sure where it is. It's just a tabloid. Uh, let me share with you some headlines, some pictures of some headlines that have been in weekly world news. Here's one. Aliens back Clinton for president. Do you remember that one? I mean, that's been a while ago. Uh, that, <laughs> In the bottom there, that, that says, then Governor Clinton quotes him as saying, I'm happy he, that is the alien he's shaking hands with, I'm happy he saw through Bush and Perot, you know, and knew to back me as the next one to be president. And that was good for Clinton's, but, but evidently you can't trust aliens because Bill catches Hillary with space alien. That was bad news, you know. He backed Clinton, but then, you know, he went after his wife. But Bill was willing to fight for Hillary, and uh, Alien and Slammer after fist fight with Bill over Hillary. So now if you look up in the right-hand corner, Bill didn't do too well in this fight. He has a black eye. He has a sour face, you know. The alien looks okay, though. Alien was okay. Uh, but evidently after this fight with Bill, the alien thought, I'm not going to be supporting any Democrat for the next, you know, president. So uh, we have uh, uh, him supporting Bush. Now for president, that little inset there says, uh, same alien helped Clinton win job in 1992. So now the alien is helping Bush become president. 
And Weekly World News lets us know, well, the same thing happened with Obama. This UFO alien backs Obama. And believe it or not, the same thing happened with Trump. Alien endorses Trump. And the alien says, make the universe great again. Yeah. This is the Weekly World News. That's what you get from the Weekly World News. Now, can you imagine historians 2,000 years from now getting, fi finding this archive, you know, the Weekly World News, and, and then they go to the Encyclopedia Britannica, they go to Wikipedia, and they look up the history of this period of time, and they compare the Weekly World News to Wikipedia and to the Encyclopedia Britannica, and they come to the conclusion that they are both equally accurate and equally trustworthy. Would that happen? I don't think so. You know, the weekly world news is not on the same level as the Encyclopedia Britannica. And for some, here's what you need to know. The Gnostic Gospels, what some people call the lost books of the Bible, they were the weekly world news of the 3rd and 4th century A.D. No one at that time looked at these and thought, hey, we can believe what they say. Nobody uh, thought that. But today, you got some of these crazy people who are looking at this, this old stuff that nobody accepts. It, when you read it, it's even goofy. You, you read it. Nobody accepted it back then. We should not be accepting it today. It's foolishness. It's heresy. Let me read to you some of the things the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas says about Jesus. Uh, it says, at one time during his childhood, he brought clay pigeons to life. He performed a miracle and, and brought them to life. Another time, he miraculously heals his brother James, who was bitten by a poisonous snake. He performs resurrections. He raised a child who died of an illness. He raised a man who died in a construction accident. He, he produces a feast from a single grain of a uh, single seed, and, and he stretches a beam of wood. His dad is making a bed, and, he, and the wood's too short. He might, I don't know if he cut it too short or it just wasn't long enough, and he stretches it out, makes it long enough for uh, Joseph to make the, the bed. And that, that's what the Gnostic Gospel of, of Thomas tells us about Jesus' childhood. But listen, the Bible tells us in John chapter 2 that Jesus' first miracle was performed in, at the wedding of Cana after his baptism. When he began his ministry, that was his first miracle. If that's his first miracle, did he raise anybody from the dead when he was a kid? Did he heal James miraculously from a snake bite? No, that was his first miracle. And, and not only that, the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas tells us Jesus was an evil and revengeful child. The Gnostic Gospel would say that because they believe the body is evil, you see. And, and they said Jesus cursed a little boy. And when he cursed him, the little boy's body withered into a, a corpse. Later, Jesus kills another little boy because the boy evidently accidentally bumps into him. And he curses him and kills him. And when Joseph and Mary's neighbors complain about them... Jesus miraculously causes them to go blind. Now that's foolishness. That's heresy. That comes from hell itself. That is backed by the devil. And no educated person with any common sense would believe what is taught in the Gnostic Gospels. So there are some weird stories, what I'm telling you, made up concerning Jesus' childhood. But all we really know about his childhood is what the Bible teaches us. Don't be fooled by those legends and traditions. And especially now you've got these new atheists, these young people who just throw this kind of stuff on the internet without doing the research and effort to find out that it's just the weekly world news just 2,000 years ago. 
One story about Jesus' childhood, we find it in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. We're going to look at that. It'll be up on the screen, but I encourage you to have your Bibles open, too, to this passage. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went to the festival according to the custom. So from this passage, we learn that Jesus' parents took him to the festival of the Passover. How many times between the time he was born until he was 12 did Jesus go to the Passover festival? How many times? 12, that's right. It says every year his parents went to Jerusalem. Uh, now there's something here that, that you need to know. This is important. God did not require the whole family to go to the Passover every year. Only the men were required to go. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, it says, Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of the unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. God did not require Mary and the kids to go to Jerusalem every year to the Passover. Only Joseph was required to go. But every year, Joseph went and he took his family with him. He wanted his kids to have every opportunity to know God to the fullest. He wanted them to understand what the feast of the Passover and Pentecost and the tabernacles were all about. Mary and Joseph did not cut corners when it came to teaching their kids about God. In fact, they passionately loved God and they did more than what was required of them. Why would they do that? Because nothing, nothing, nothing is more important than making sure your kids have a right relationship with God. That was their responsibility as they raised Jesus and, and the other kids, and that's our responsibility as parents, making sure our children have a right relationship with God. And when they are young, you want to give them every opportunity you can to get to know God and have a good relationship with him. So Mary and Joseph set a wonderful example for us today as parents. No wonder God chose them to raise Jesus. We go on in that passage and it says, after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. I think maybe this is where that guy got the idea for the movie Home Alone. I'm not sure, you know. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. They began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Now you read this and you think, how is it possible that you could be missing your kid for a day? Well, if you saw the movie Home Alone, you understand that a little bit maybe. Uh, Jesus was 12. He, he was responsible as a 12-year-old. They had traveled to Jerusalem many times. They usually traveled in caravans. Sometimes almost a whole village would go, but if not the village, you went with your family. Why would you do that? Because it was a dangerous trip. If you went just with a few of you, more chance that you'd be robbed by thieves. So they went in caravans. So they probably saw Jesus just before they left, and when they took off, they figured Jesus was the other kids. He was there somewhere in the caravan. They didn't miss him until uh, the night. It never entered their mind that Jesus wasn't there with him, but he was gone. Verse 46 says, after three days, they found him in the temple courts. Why did it take them three? Well, they had left a day and traveled for a day. Uh, they had to travel a day back to Jerusalem. Then the third day, they looked for him, and they found him in the temple courts. It says, uh, he was sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions.
questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So they go back, they find this 12-year-old boy sitting in the temple courts. He's sitting among the teachers, listening to the teachers, questioning the teachers. He's 12 years old. Now he's sitting with the very best of uh, Israel's educators. He's sitting with these scholars. He's sitting with these professors, these teachers. And they are amazed at what this 12-year-old boy understands. They're amazed at his, uh, the way he answers their questions. And they're amazed at his insight and the questions that he asks them. Where did Jesus get all this insight? Where did he get this learning? Well, he got a lot of it from Mary and Joseph. Uh, the Old Testament commanded parents, Deuteronomy chapter 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons and daughters. Notice this. And you shall teach them when they sit down in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lay down. And when you rise up. You need to always be about teaching your children about God and his will. And I have no doubt that Mary and Joseph diligently taught Jesus the scripture. So as a 12-year-old boy, as a Jewish boy, he knew the scripture. By the way, at 12 years old, he is now considered a man that is, he is responsible for knowing the law and obeying the law at 12. 12 was the age of accountability for the Jewish boys. Now, people sometimes will say because that was the age of accountability for Jewish boys, that's the age of accountability for people today. The Bible doesn't say that. I think that age probably comes at different times, but for the Jewish boy, 12, was he was now accountable to God for obeying the law. Verse 48 says, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Now Mary calls Jesus, uh, Joseph Jesus' father. He's not his biological father, but he is his father in the sense that he raised him, he fed him, he provided for him, he protected him, he taught him, and he loved him. Your father and I, you know, we've been worried, we've been looking for you. And Jesus says in verse 49, why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, he wasn't smarting off to his mother here. He wasn't sassing his mother here. He was simply informing his mother here of something that she probably should have known. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know? By the way, the New King James translates this, uh, rather than father's house, I must be about my father's business. The New English Standard, that's the footnote, father's business. Uh, it can be translated either way. The idea of being in the father's house is being about his business. This is the beginning of a transition that's going to take place. This is why Luke tells us about this. A beginning of a transition that takes place. It's going to finish completely 18 years later at Jesus' baptism. Uh, when he begins his ministry. Remember at his baptism, the heavens open and God the Father says, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Verse 50 says, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Uh, then he went down to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. Now he's an obedient child, you know, submissive to his parents. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Now, it's kind of amazing that they did not understand, at least catch on a little bit to what Jesus was saying. I mean, after all, they both had an angelic messenger tell them who Jesus was. 
Uh, they both witnessed the visitation of the shepherds, and the shepherds no doubt told them about what happened that night. They both witnessed the wise men bringing the gifts from the east to this newborn king. They both heard the prophetic message of Simeon and Anna, and yet they didn't quite catch on. And Mary ponders these things in her heart. Just a, amazing when you think of what Mary had to be thinking about at this time. Now the next 18 years of Jesus' life are summed up in this verse. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So that's it. We, we don't have a whole lot about his childhood. Uh, but we do have more than I think any other Bible character. We have all that we need to know. Now, two quick lessons here. Just going to take a minute here. Two quick lessons. Number one, we must make sure that we're not corner-cutting Christians. Every year, even though it wasn't required of them, Joseph and Mary went to the Passover with their children. They did more than what was required of them. Only Joseph was required to go. But they weren't going to miss this opportunity to teach their kids. They weren't going to miss this opportunity to worship together. They weren't going to miss this opportunity to grow together. They weren't going to miss this opportunity to get closer to God. They passionately love God, and they did more than what was required of them. Too many Christians today are looking for an opportunity to cut corners. How can I do less? Not how can I do more. Not how can I do more than is required of me, but what can I do? How can I cut corners? They try to cut corners when it comes to church attendance, when it comes to prayer time, when it comes to Bible study, when it comes to stewardship. And rather than passionately loving God and seeking to do more than he asked, they look for opportunities to cut back. They look for opportunities to cut corners so they can do less for God and more simply what they want to do. We must make sure we're not corner-cutting Christians, and we must make sure that Jesus is still with us in our journey. Mary and Joseph thought Jesus was with them, and he wasn't. We must make sure in this fast-paced world of ours, in our busy lives, with our hectic schedules, that we haven't left Jesus behind as we travel our direction, rather than being about God's business with him. We need to make sure that Jesus' business is our business. And if we do that, we can be sure that Jesus is journeying with us. So if you're here this morning as a Christian, I understand we don't know a lot about his childhood, but what we do know teaches us a couple important lessons. We must make sure we're not corner-cutting Christians. and We must make sure that Jesus is still on this journey with us. He wants to be. We need to be about his business. Now, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, what a good opportunity as we begin this new year to decide to accept Christ as your Savior, to become a Christian. The Bible says to become a Christian, it's so simple. We just have to have faith, and this faith is going to lead us to say, I'm not going my direction anymore. I'm going the direction Jesus would have me to go. I'm going to go where he is. I'm going to be about his business. And then we are born again. The Bible says we are baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins and gift of the Holy Spirit. So through faith, our, our faith leads us to be obedient, and we are born into his family. So if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, we're going to sing an invitation hymn. Wonderful opportunity. If you walk forward, we'll take your confession today, and we can baptize you into Christ Jesus. Let's be standing as we sing together.